from deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Driscoll stopping, looking, he's hit, the ball is out, it's a fumble, picked up by Taven Bryan, Bryan to the 40-yard line, Bryan to the 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, Bryan to the 5, and he's down to around the 2-yard line, as the Gators had the script, they fumbled the ball, and pick it up, and a long run, it's going to be first down and goal to go for the Gators. There's the snap to Harris, Harris dropping straight back, looking, looking with protection, Rainbow's one down the field, he's got Callaway with the guard, and the throw and catch 53 yards to Antonio Callaway. Taylor in a one-back set. Harris is under center, and he fakes the pitch. Now stops. Harris drops back, looks to throw, swings the pass off to McGee. McGee at the nine-yard line, breaks the tackle. He's to the five. He's in. Touchdown, Gators. Oh, my. Jake McGee took a long throwback pass off to the left, broke the tackle, and took it in for the score, and the Gators lead 20-14. to 14. All right, match point. Fourth and goal at the 12-yard line. Twins right, one to the left. Listen to this crowd. There's the snap to Johnson. Johnson dropping back. Throws the ball toward the end zone. He throws it to the receiver. It broke it up. It's incomplete. Brian Poole broke up a pass intended for Jensen Stoshak. It was broken up. The final play of the game. And the Gators have won. How oh my. They've averted an upset with an overtime victory today here on the Swamp. 20-14. to 14. Happy Thanksgiving and welcome to Gator Tales. I'm Adam Schick. It may have been closer than the experts expected, but after surviving an overtime scare from FAU in the swamp, Florida continued to follow the late Al Davis's famous credo, just win, baby. And with that victory, the Gators now sit at 10-1 with their two biggest games this season on the horizon. But before the bags get packed for Atlanta, an emotional senior day and a visit from Florida State await the orange and blue. Today, we'll get you ready for a massive weekend in the swamp with senior offensive lineman Mason Halter, wide receivers coach Kerry Dixon, and Gator's own senior writer Scott Carter. We'll also hear from Sergeant Corey Garman, the honorary Mr. Two-Bits from saluting those who served last weekend. But first, the Florida-Florida State rivalry takes on an added dimension in the years when it's played in the swamp because it doubles as senior day. We sat down with the voice of the Gators, Mick Hubert, to recall some of the great moments in the storied rivalry when we also said goodbye to Gator greats. It's always special for Senior Day just because of what it represents. And, you know, in the odd years, such as the case this season, it's against Florida State. So that always adds a little extra spice to it when the players come out and uh, they've got their families there with them. And it's really something. And, you know, we have a really unique thing this year, Adam, and that Senior Day for Jake McGee. He must hold the record in college football for now playing in his third Senior Day. He went through one at Virginia. He graduated, had an extra year to play, and then he came to Florida and went out to the 
tunnel and got hurt. But then he granted his sixth year, and now he's been a, a mainstay and a great player for the Gators now this year. So it'll be his third senior day. I don't know if anybody could – they might have tied it, but I don't think anybody can break a record like that. But when you look at senior day for guys going out in the tunnel the last time, I, I go back to my very first season here back in 1989. And while it wasn't senior day for Emmett Smith because he was a junior, it turned out to be Emmett's last game in the swamp. 1989, Florida, Florida State. The Gators had already made a coaching change in that year. We weren't really going anywhere per se, but we're having a great, great year for Emmett. Over 100 yards, game in and game out. And this is his last game against Florida State. He had 153 yards rushing on 30 carries. Our offense pretty much was Emmett left, Emmett right, and Emmett wherever he wanted to go. He went out with a bang at Florida Field. It was not yet named the Swamp. And he had a great one in his final appearance, his final bow, if you will. And I remember that game, too, because it was, it was a Saturday night, and it was very cold. I mean, uh, Florida weather speaking, it was, it was a frigid Saturday night. And the Gators came out with blue tops and orange pants. And that was really unique because Gators uh, had gotten away from the Charlie Pell orange and, uh, you know, it had been the blue on the white, and yet we came out with the blue and the orange, and uh, we haven't worn that uniform too much. Another Gator great, of course, would be Tim Tebow playing his final game in the Swamp, and he really had a couple of great ones in, in the Swamp against FSU, but his last one in uh, 2009, you know, he counted for five touchdowns. He uh, had uh, had three passing and two rushing touchdowns, and it was a big win for the Gators. We were very, very good that year, and uh, we'd won 22 games in a row, so that was a great one for Tim Tebow. And again, as I mentioned uh, moments earlier, uh, in the odd years, it's Florida State finishing up. Danny Werfel didn't get to play for Florida State on senior day in the swamp because it was the the game before that would have been his senior game because in 96 we were in Tallahassee. So uh, those are a couple of players that come to mind uh, that had uh, uh, interesting and big games in the final game in the swamp on their senior day happened to be against Florida State. There have been so many great games in this rivalry, but looking specifically at the ones in the swamp, what are some that stand out to you? Well, as I mentioned earlier, of course, the 89 game was my first and uh, it was a heartbreaking loss for the Gators. But then the next time the Seminoles came in in 1991, it was one of the most exciting games ever in the Swamp. It was now named the Swamp with Steve Spurrier here. And the Gators won it 14-9, to which triggered the great joke for many, many years. When people would ask, what time is it? And they'd say, well, it's 14-9. to <laughs> Because the Gators took a, a great pass break up in the north end zone to secure what was a 14-9 to win. So we went from one of the most exciting Gator FSU games in the Swamp to the very next time they came in to one of the most heartbreaking games in the Swamp. The Gators were, in 1993, trailing big in this game to Florida State. I think it was like 27 to 7. And then the Gators rallied back and cut it to 27-21. Had clear momentum in the game. The place was going crazy. The Gators had stopped the Seminoles on first down, on second down. They had third and 10 back about the 21-yard line with about five and a half or six minutes to go in the game. If the Gators can make this third down stop, they're going to force FSU to punt. And again, the Gators were on the comeback trail with all the momentum. You just knew the Gators were going to score and were going to kind of steal this game. But on third and 10, the eventual Heisman Trophy winner, Charlie Ward, found work done out in the left flat and he went 79 yards and uh, you could heard a pin drop from the Gator fans at that point because it took a 27-21 FSU lead out to a game that they won by uh, a couple of scores but it was a heartbreaker and then in 97 another of the great classic Florida Florida State games in the swamp one of the loudest places uh, ever that was the the game that I said that was an insane asylum in the swamp Gators 
won that game 32-29 to with a great long pass from Doug Johnson to Quezzy Green. 233 to play. Johnson in the shotgun takes the snap. He's looking and looking, throwing a deep ball down the right sideline. It's caught by Green at the 40. He's at the 30, cutting left side. Quezzy Green, 20, trying to get outside, stiff arms a man, and down at the 18-yard line. Oh, my. I think it was about 64 yards, and it set up Fred Taylor, who got the game-winning score. But we had to seal it with uh, Dwayne Thomas getting an interception to actually wrap that game up for the Gators in 97. In 99, uh, FSU came in here and won. But then in 2001, the Gators won big on what would be Steve Spurrier's last game, coaching Florida against Florida State. And then in 03, the Gators lost a heartbreaker 38-34 in a game that will be remembered always by the moniker of the swindle in the swamp. There were several questionable calls made by the ACC officiating crew, which uh, could well have been a difference in a four-point loss. And that was in 2003. And then when Urban Meyer arrived, the Gators took off again and, and beat them bad in 05. Tim Tebow came on in 07, accounted for five touchdowns in, in that game with three passing, two rushing. The following year, Tebow's last uh, senior day, same thing happened again. He accounted for five more touchdowns by three passing and two rushing. And then in 2011, FSU had nothing going on. Uh, they made 95 total yards in the game. The Gators turned the ball over four times and FSU won 21 to 7. They had less than 100 yards in the game and won it. And then in 2013, uh, beat the Gators very badly. So this game, this Saturday night, the Gators are going to try to avoid losing three in a row at Florida Field for the first time ever against Florida State because every time FSU had won, the Gators would bounce back and win. FSU might win again. They might have had a a two-out-of-three run there over that five-year period, but never in that five-year period had they won three times in the Swamp. That's what they'll be trying to do on Saturday night. So it's a very, very big game, no question, with, with so much is at stake. And yet oftentimes... Adam, the Gators have to play this game with a big game, perhaps bigger sometimes, the following week. That was also the case back in 2001 when the Gators beat FSU badly 37-13 because that was the year of 9-11. We had another regular season game to play after FSU. That's when Tennessee game was rescheduled. And uh, there may have been a little bit of emotional letdown in the game, even though everything was on the line in that game. You do have to give Tennessee some credit. But it was probably the best Gator football team never to win a title. And we got beat by, by Tennessee the following week. So uh, it always makes it interesting in, in this game. And obviously, again, the Gators know they've got a very big game the following week. But uh, there's no bigger game than this one because of, of what it represents. We throw the word rivalry around a lot these days. But what specifically makes this rivalry so intense and so meaningful? I can only really speak over the last 26 or 27 years. Now, there's some great games in this series back in the 60s and the 70s and 80s, for that matter. Always has been. That's what makes this a classic rivalry. But since uh, Spurrier arrived here, Bobby Bowden was really in his heyday. So you had two coaches, two giants in their field going against one another. And oftentimes, this was a battle of two top ten teams. Some years, two top five teams. There was a bunch of national championships coming out of uh, uh, this particular rivalry. Obviously, uh, you know, the, the 96 game over in Tallahassee that FSU won and the Gators came back a few weeks later and in the rematch beat FSU 52-20 to to win Florida's first national championship in New Orleans on January 1 of 1997. So, and then obviously a little bit of what we saw here last week in that there's so many players who went against one another in high school or may have been high school teammates who are now going against one another on opposite side of the specter in this game. So that's certainly what makes it special. Such a a Florida-dominated group of players. A lot of these players have been recruited by both schools. So I think that's really what uh, has made it special, uh, you know, obviously over all these years. 
When players began their journey at Florida, in theory they will have 28 chances to run out of the tunnel donning the orange and blue. But with transfers, injuries, the NFL draft, and more factors in play, few players actually get that many opportunities. A good example of that is Mason Halter, a graduate transfer who started his career at Fordham but will finish it with the Gators on senior day. When he suits up for his seventh and final time playing in the Swamp, the O-lineman says that emotions will no doubt be running high. obviously bittersweet I mean senior day I've already had one uh, so this will be my second one but uh, I mean I've only been here for four months and I feel like I've been here forever and uh, it's going to be hard to leave obviously but looking to go out on a good note here on senior day. The FAU game another one of those games you guys gutted out you just found a way to win despite a lot of adversity what is it about this team that you found so many different ways to now get to 10 and 1? I think there's just like a mentality of never quitting I think coach Mack instilled that in us obviously in the offensive line and just in offense in general we were having a rough game but when we needed to get it done we got it done and that's what he's instilled in us throughout the year just to keep going don't remember the last play just play each play like it's a new one coach Mack made headlines talking about the uh, dead fish comparison after the FAU game so what was your first reaction when you heard those comments I mean as a unit that's embarrassing to us not that coach Mack said that but that's what we put on film as a as a unit so I mean obviously we're gonna fix that this week in practice and gonna change that here for the game and make it a little bit better what do you think it is about that that he saw what what is he referring to that you guys can actively change? I guess maybe just like uh, a lack of emotion and lack of energy during the game. That's what he's harped on this week is our energy, always playing with high energy, bringing that to everything that we do uh, because obviously we get things going up front and that uh, spills off onto the other position groups. Now how you got here is a crazy story in and of itself. So talk about the journey from being on a partial scholarship at Fordham to now starting for Florida on senior day against Florida State. I mean, I've said this before, but you told me that senior year, my high school year, I told you to get out of here. I mean, that's it's ridiculous. Obviously, I've worked really hard for this, and just the, the whole journey has been an awesome experience. Ended my senior year. I had a year of eligibility, couldn't play at Fordham anymore, um, went out searching, essentially, and had this coaching connection here and decided that this was the greatest place to play. Obviously, I watched Florida on TV all these years, so, I mean, actually, to go out here in the swamp and play, it's, it's a dream come true, really is. What's been the toughest part of transitioning from playing at Fordham at the FCS level to playing in the SEC? It's a whole plethora of different things. Um, one, obviously, the concepts and the plays are different, so I had to figure those out first. And then just going up against this type of athlete, it's it's such a different experience. I mean, obviously, they're bigger, faster, and stronger, but there's a lot more mind games as, as well involved in high-level plays. So uh, just getting used to those through camp. I mean, obviously, again, thank the, the Florida defensive line for getting me ready for this. I mean, they're the best D-line I've played all year, and I can say that for a fact. So, I mean, that's it's been great what I was able to do during camp with them helping me out, inadvertently help, helping me <laughs> also. But, uh, no, it's been great, and uh, the transition has gone way more smoothly than I could have ever imagined. You mentioned the mind games. Take us into that a little bit. Obviously, studying film, you see people's tendencies and Obviously, through the game, once you once you start winning, those one-on-one battles, they start trying to switch things up. So just kind of back and forth against you and the defender, just what's going to happen next and trying to be one move ahead of the other person. There's only so much you can prepare for when you're making a transition like this. So what have been the biggest surprises to you? What are some things that you maybe didn't expect? I would say the fans. I mean, they told me, obviously, there's 90,000 here, but you don't really know what 90,000, playing in front of 90,000 fans is like until you get here, until you play your first snap here. So, I mean, that, that was one of the biggest surprises to me that actually, how loud this place can get. I mean, during the Ole Miss Tennessee game, even the even the last drive of the FAU game, I couldn't hear a thing. <laughs> and that to me is just it's unbelievable. I mean, there's that many people willing to come out and support us as a team. It's 
it's just really great and shows how great the Gator Nation really is. I know one of the reasons you want to go to Fordham was because education was really important to you. So having said that, what are your plans for after football? I'm in the agribusiness uh, master's program here. So I'd like to do something more in the financial side of things. Uh, I'd like to go back up to New York and work as a financial advisor on Wall Street somewhere. That'd be great for me. My dad is a portfolio manager now up in Arlington, Virginia. So similar path to what he did. We've had some wicked cold fronts coming through Gainesville here recently, and you've been known to wear a t-shirt and sandals and shorts throughout the whole thing. So a lot of your teammates aren't used to that. If there was a winter storm that came through Gainesville, which teammates would be least equipped to handle that? This one's just going to be funny, but I think Tyler Jordan, just because he claims he's equipped and ready for this cold, but he's never felt cold like I have. And I think once he would get there, (laughs) he would crumble under the pressure. We'll make sure that doesn't happen. <laughs> you haven't had a lot of time here, but certainly been a part of some special moments. So what stands out to you first and foremost as your best memory of this season? I would say there's 10 best memories. Every single win we've had, that feeling in the locker room after that we've accomplished that great goal of winning, which is very hard to do in college football, obviously, as you can see around the globe. I mean, just going out there, putting the game plan into action and getting a W is just, it's great. You mentioned already having a senior day with Fordham. Jake McGee's had two senior days at this point. What can you say to teammates about that experience to help prepare them for the emotions that go into that kind of day? It's really something special. I mean, I know my my senior day was in front of 5,000 fans, but it meant the world to me that those people were out there cheering for me and my family was out there on the field um, at the 50-yard line. Got to take a rose out to my mom. It's going to be great for me. I mean, my parents have traveled, come to every game so far, either my brother and sister as well. So to see them out there on the swamp for their first time in front of the 90,000, it's going to be a great experience. One you're never going to forget. On the flip side, this is your first Florida-Florida State game, so what have you been able to draw from your teammates to help prepare you for that experience? I mean, obviously growing up, I watched this uh, rivalry on TV. Even in college, I watched this on TV for four years, so I know this is an absolute huge game. And um, just through my teammates, obviously, I've been talking to Tripp a lot about it. He's been through four of these, and obviously with any kind of rivalry game that I've played in, at least the emotions run high. And it's about staying level-headed and playing your game and not getting too caught up in the emotions and the whole rivalry itself. Obviously, the rivalry is is a big part of it, and it makes the environment very hostile in our favor this year. But just being able to go out there and not get too high, not get too low, that's the biggest part about a rivalry game. And I mean, obviously, Florida, Florida State is huge. I've been watching videos of all the previous games and stuff like that on YouTube, all the the little montages, and uh, it's going to be great to go out there on the field and be in front of the the 90,000. I I think will be the loudest it has been so far. Having lost to Florida State the last two years, what's the talk in the locker room like? How important is this game to the players? This game's important just because it's the next one, and Coach Max has been saying that all year. And obviously this is an even bigger game because it's a rivalry game, but also there's a lot at stake. We essentially hold our own destiny here. What's this week like with Thanksgiving and obviously such a big game, bringing that all together? What does that do for this team in terms of creating an even bigger family atmosphere? The family part of it's great. Obviously Thanksgiving and having no school can bring in some distractions, so um, really hones in on your attention to detail and everything like that. And then obviously going home uh, for Thanksgiving for a little bit to get to see our families and then coming back on Friday. It's a great week. It's something that's real special. And I've been able to play these past two years on Thanksgiving week as well in the FCS playoffs. So I know a little bit of the feeling. So many great things in the Thanksgiving buffet. What are the go-tos? Where are you going to keep going back for seconds for that Thanksgiving buffet? I know this is going to hurt a lot of people's feelings probably, but I'm, I'm not a huge turkey guy. Um, <laughs> but I do love the turkey and I love the stuffing. The stuffing's probably my favorite. Mom has that secret recipe that she makes. It's probably not secret, but uh, she makes it really good and can't wait to go have some. She's actually going to be down in St. Augustine, so I'll be able to go down there and see her. 
Final thing for you, Mason, when it comes down to it, what are you guys going to have to do to beat the Seminoles this weekend? Just being focused. I mean, obviously, Coach Nuss is going to have a great game plan for us offensively. And like I said before, just going out there, executing our game plan, paying attention to the details, hitting our right landmarks as an offensive line, and uh, protecting Treon, giving him a good pocket back there so he can pass, um, not making him feel uncomfortable or anything like that where he has to scramble. That's probably the keys to victory for me. The Florida-Florida State rivalry isn't just a regional obsession. It also moves the needle across the country for any college football fanatic. But it really makes waves in the Sunshine State. So even though Kerry Dixon is in his first year as Florida's wide receivers coach, he told Jeff Cardozo that he certainly understands the intensity that comes when the Gators and Seminoles take the field. Oh yeah, I'm definitely aware of what's going to take place. And being in this state for four years now, everywhere you go, it's either Florida Gators or Florida State. So the air is going to be thick with Florida Gator fans rooting us on, and it's going to be a great night. A lot of people have certainly rooted on the, the receivers all year long. And you know, the last time we talked, probably about a month ago, you talked about these guys starting to get it. And now when you're 11 games into this thing, have they bought into everything that you're trying to teach them? Uh, they're definitely buying in. Um, you can see it with Brandon Powell in the run game. And he's doing some things, you know, on the perimeter, blocking, which is really good for us. And Antonio continues to come along and make plays. Uh, even Ahmad Fullwood, Valdez Showers, Chris Thompson, and I can go on and on about guys who are contributing to special teams and doing a great job for us as well. So they're definitely buying in to the program and doing everything they can to help us win. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the blocking because we, we've seen Brandon Powell make a, a big block early in the season to, that caused a touchdown to win. Um, just those little things that maybe a lot of people don't see, that, that's got to be pretty rewarding when you look at film. Uh, it's great to see on film. It's something that's encouraged daily. We do team run every day, and in that period, that's what we do. We're aggressive in the run game, and then they get a reward for it as far as a production chart standpoint that we put up in the uh, meeting room. So they can come in and see it after the game, and they really compete for that. They even like that more than they like the percentage grade. So it's been good. It's been an encourager, and you're starting to see it on film. And speaking of good, we all know what Antonio Calloway's meant to this team. I think he's second all-time now and has a chance to be the, the best freshman ever, yardage-wise, in, in UF history. Just talk about him a little bit, how special he is to coach. Uh, he's a great kid to coach. He really cares. You can see it every day. He loves the game of football. Always looking for ways to get better. Um, he comes up and he'll get some extra work in. When he watches film on his own, you know it because he'll come in and he can tell you exactly what he saw. So it's great to see a young guy like that come in and be a big contributor for us. So now going into a big game, are there certain things you've seen on film the last couple of weeks and what guys that are doing that can uh, help you with what's going to happen? Uh, yeah, you can see schematically some things that teams are doing to take advantage of some things in coverage. On film, there are some really good things that we can take advantage of. You know, they have a lot of length on the outside, so we have to make sure we do a good job of using our technique and things that we see to our advantage. We've seen a lot of different guys contribute, so that has to be rewarding too. It, it's when teams are trying to prepare, they can't just stop one guy because you have two or three other guys making some plays. Yeah, they take pride in that as well. You know, we always talk about when your opportunity comes, you have to take advantage of it, regardless of who it is. You know, it's the next man up, and the next man up has to do his job just as well as the other guy. So those guys have really bought into that philosophy, and it's starting to help us in 
no matter what, those guys have a mindset that when I get my opportunity, I'm going to go out there and give them my all. You touched upon a little bit. Um, you, know, you see guys on special teams flying all over the place. We've seen Chris Thompson be such a big part in the punt game. Um, does that keep them engaged? And, and how excited are these guys on the sideline when they make plays like that in special teams? Uh, they get really excited for each other. You can hear them cheering on each other. There's something about a group that spends so much time together when you're seeing another guy from your position group making plays. It helps you as well because you want to go out there and do the same thing that he's doing. So those guys are really locked in, and they understand that at any point your number can be called. And when you get out there, just take advantage of that opportunity. You're 11 games into this thing now, so how many adjustments are made in-game? Is it happening possession by possession, or do you do it at halftime? Like, talk about that process a little bit. Well, we make quite a few adjustments on the sideline based off what we're seeing, and then we go in at halftime and we come up with a plan that will help us as well. So it's really every quarter we have something that we can go adjust to, and we prepare for it all week. Let's, uh, give me a couple of things that you guys need to do well to uh, come out here with a, with a good ending. We have to do a great job on the perimeter and the run game of blocking downfield. We also need to do our job and get open for the quarterback as well in special teams. We need to um, hang on to our blocks whenever it's a return and also get after it um, whenever we have punt team out there or whoever it is. We just have to take care of our business, do our job. While the Gators have slipped by their last three opponents in tight games, most believe that they'll have to turn it up offensively the next two weeks to compete with the talented Florida State squad and whomever emerges from the loaded SEC West. With that in mind, we asked Gators' own senior writer Scott Carter how the Florida offense can get back on track. Well, they're going to have to, you know, start creating some more explosive plays. We saw some earlier in the season. Uh, that's kind of faded away, although, you know, in the win against FAU. Harris did hit Antonio Callaway for a 53-yard score. It was a big score at the time, gave Florida a 14-0 lead, but there's been less and less of those the past few weeks, and the Florida offensive line right now, they've regressed some. They're having trouble getting a push up front, and you've got to be able to do that against this Florida State defense to really run the ball consistently and maybe open up some of those long pass plays. But uh, for Florida, they're going to have to, you know, strike when it's there and certainly convert in the red zone. Points are going to be at a premium, and they're going to have to convert on those opportunities get because they may not get a lot against this uh, Florida State defense. But when they're in the red zone, they got to protect the ball. That's been a strength of Treon Harris early in the year when he took over for Will Greer. But in the past couple of games, we've seen him lose some costly turnovers, throwing a couple of interceptions in the red zone, and obviously the fumble against Florida Atlantic that allowed them to tie the game. So, you know, taking care of the ball, trying to hit the big play when it's there, and just developing some kind of run game to help Harris out. You mentioned the offensive line. That's been a, a big storyline the latter half of the season, and yet they played pretty well in the first half of the year. So what differences have you seen on the offensive line, and how can they get stronger here down the stretch? There's probably multiple factors there. They're not as healthy as they were earlier in the year. You know, it's that point in the season where all these guys are kind of beat up, and it's not a very deep line. So uh, guys are probably playing out there uh, not at 100%. Also, I think the transition in the offense that they had to go through, from Will Greer to Treon Harris, while it maybe doesn't look a lot different, I mean, the styles of those two quarterbacks are different. And these guys maybe have been tested in different ways with Harris back there, who likes to, you know, get out of the pocket more and uh, run more. So, you know, there's a lot of things there, Adam, but the biggest thing is that they have to just be more physical and come out with more energy. I mean, Jim McElwain, you know, he pointed 
out after the Florida Atlantic game. Their defensive line just came out and took it to Florida the entire game. And he specifically, you know, kind of pointed out, if you've been reading anything lately, he used the term dead fish. Uh, and that's kind of uh, a fair analogy. I mean, you could just tell they weren't getting really any significant push. And you have to be able to do that against Florida State. Because, you know, this game is a rivalry game. Both teams should be hyped up. But if your offensive line isn't hyped up, Florida State's defense is going to certainly uh, take advantage of that. Dalvin Cook is such an explosive player on the other side for FSU. Almost was a Gator and then flipped to Florida State and now has become one of the best players in the country. That's a huge concern for this Florida defense. You know, they did have some trouble earlier in the year when they faced Leonard Fournette. And really, other than Leonard Fournette, a running back really hasn't taken control of the game like he has. But Dalvin Cook certainly has that potential. You know, he's as good of a runner as there is with Fournette and Alabama's Derrick Henry. I think when you look across the country, those three guys are probably your top three running backs. And uh, it's going to be an interesting challenge for Florida because their defensive line is so thin right now. Jim McElwain uh, has said that this is a defensive line that is going to be tested throughout the week just seeing who can play. I mean, you go down the list. I mean, Alex McAllister, he's likely out. Taven Bryan, who had the big fumble uh, return against Florida Atlantic, he's uh, questionable. Caleb Brantley, Joy Ivey, John Bullard, there's still some question about him. And then you got Jordan Sherritt, another guy. So that's, that's six guys in the rotation. Well, that says what I meant in the against Florida Atlantic was Antonio Riles, who had been playing offensive line. Well, suddenly he comes over to defense. That's how thin they were. And they also took a red shirt off freshman defensive end Kavanis Davis. So you know when you do that in your what, 11th game of the season, you're facing some serious depth issues. They're going to have to see who they have you know, by the end of the week, who can get out there, and also finding a way to slow Dalvin Cook. And that's going to be a lot on linebackers Jerry Davis and Antonio Morrison to help out in that regard. He's a fire breather. He's a glass eater. He's a difference maker. So some guys in this college football, they have it. That any time they touch it, they can make it happen and hit a home run. I mean, this guy has it. He's a different runner than maybe the guy at LSU. And what do I mean by that? He probably got a little one cut, one step, you know, quickness and go. And yet he runs with power. He runs behind his pads. He can catch the ball. Um, He's a complete package in and I know they use him and get him the ball like they should. I hope we'll be able to tackle the guy. I mean, there haven't been many teams that have. We've talked about the quarterbacks on Florida's side. On the flip side, though, FSU, who had a solid quarterback for a couple years, now they're also in a state of transition with two guys who they can't really make a decision about either. Yeah, Adam, uh, they started the year with Everett Golson, a transfer from Notre Dame, fifth-year senior veteran guy. He was uh, the guy that Jimbo Fisher basically turned over the offense to in the uh, post-Jameis Winston era. But you know what? Later in the season, they've gone to Sean McGuire, who uh, got a little bit of a taste last year when uh, Winston was out. And he's starting right now, and uh, you know Florida State is going through a transition. The biggest difference probably in what they're facing than what Florida faced earlier this year when it went from Will Greer to Treon Harris. You know, Sean McGuire can turn around and hand the ball off to Dalvin Cook. And that's such a, a help for a, a young quarterback who's trying to kind of uh, learn the system and uh, develop his voice uh, within the huddle. You know, Florida has Kelvin Taylor, who's certainly having a good year, leads the Gators in rushing. But I think Dalvin Cook is a little bit more of a, a threat on each carry, uh, certainly at this point in his career, and he's proven it. And that, that's got to be a, a big relief for Jimbo Fisher and that Florida State offense. We use the term battle quite often in sports, and one of the great aspects of the annual Saluting Those Who Serve game is putting football in the proper perspective as we honor American heroes with a Gator connection. Among those highlighted this year in the swamp was Sergeant Corey Garment, who lost both legs in Afghanistan three years ago when he stepped on a landmine. 
But thanks to the magic of prosthetics and the great work done by the people at Walter Reed Army Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland, Sergeant Garman was able to walk out to the 50-yard line this past weekend as the honorary Mr. Two-Bits. Gator Vision's Whitney Hayworth caught up with him shortly after leaving the field and asked him what it meant to lead the legendary cheer. It's amazing. I mean, that's an understatement. Three years ago, I didn't know if I was going to make it out of Afghanistan alive. And now I'm leading, leading the chant in the middle of the swamp with the greatest fans. Uh, I'm so blessed. So blessed. And what's that feeling like being on the field and just seeing 90,000 Gator fans all together, all cheering for one sole purpose? It's amazing. I love it. And uh, I'll be back next week. And obviously, you know, Gator Nation is everywhere. So while you were away fighting for our country, what was it like to know that there were probably fellow Gators around you and that you could take some time off and just kind of escape from what was going on in the real world and rely on the Gators? When I was there uh, in Afghanistan, uh, it was basketball season. Um, and I remember waking up at 3 or 4 in the morning. I can't remember the time difference and watching uh, the Gators play in the NCAA tournament um, in basketball but I uh, look at really looking forward to the football season uh, while I was there uh, this is what it's all about and you've gotten a tour today you've been all around the stadium all around the facilities what's been your favorite part so far definitely been out there on the middle of the field uh, but uh, this is my daughter's first Gator game also so that's a blessing in itself And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to Gator Tales on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher to make sure you don't miss a single episode, and please give us a review to help Gator Tales continue to grow. Also, feel free to reach out to us by tweeting at Gators Podcast or emailing GatorsPodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out the Orange and Blue when they take on Florida State Saturday night at 7.30 on ESPN and the Gator IMG Sports Network. Our next podcast will be available next Thursday and will get you set for the Gators' first trip to Atlanta since 2009. Until then, I'm Adam Schick saying happy Thanksgiving and I'll see you in the swamp.